Hey, with Amy Kayser, Messages from the Marsh, part one three is the short film played at the Environmental Film Festival. Experimental film, there's three images on screen, but very much uh, thematic about the current environment that we're in now, I guess, correct? Yes, I'd say so. So it's very experimental in nature. So we're basically, as an audience, this part is three minutes. So you say it's part one to three. So I'm assuming there's sequels in the works or <laughs> there's going to be. There are, things? there are. Yeah. I'm working on the next, uh, well, well, the next segment of parts, which will be parts four through six. So um, I'm working in that same framework where it's um, it's uh, projected in, in threes. Yeah. So that all, all of the parts have some interconnectivity and they, you know, feed off of each other, have, you know, kind of have its own interconnected language. And it's really enjoyable to edit that way. It's a challenge and very, very enjoyable, but I'm in the middle of shooting parts four through six, and I'll probably be finished editing those midwinter. That's usually when I like to edit, when I can't get access to the outdoor spaces as easily as other times. And, Massachusetts. Gotcha. You're, you're in Massachusetts, so there's always there's some hard winters there sometimes, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, hard winters and summers, depending on depending on when you go. The the winters uh, I tried shooting last winter, um, and I, I couldn't even get access to some of the spaces. It was just so treacherous with ice, you know, and, and being out there on on in the marsh areas on the edge there, it really uh you, you really need ice cleats to get out there. But I um I did, uh, I did work on a lot of sound during the winter too. Some of the quieter moments of the marshes. So I do have uh, footage from all seasons. It's just a matter of what I'm, I'm shooting for, whether it's sound or whether it's land or water. So just to make sure that everybody understands. So what are marshes? What are marsh locations? Okay. Well, the, um, the marshes that I'm shooting are um, at, at the, the marshes are the borders of the ocean. So it's salt marsh um, or tide marsh, you might say, uh, rivers coming in, uh, the rivers that uh, join oceans or intermix into brackish areas. And, and most of the marshes I'm interested in and shooting are right now marshes along the East Coast that are considered threatened to be underwater by 2050 uh, with combinations of uh, sea level rise and also uh, just general climate change and agricultural uh, runoff. The marshes are endangered as far as the, the biosystems and also the barriers between the ocean and land. So um, what, uh, what they provide are um, with, with, its, with its bio uh, diversity and also uh, its sort of mechanism is is that it provides life for uh, migration for mm -hmm. birds. It also provides barrier protection between the land and the sea. It also provides, uh, the marshes themselves actually absorb uh, pollutants and carbon dioxide. So it's very uh, rich in that way in which it helps to mitigate some, some climate change. So things like that uh, with uh, marshlands, they uh, absorb absorb these uh, gases that are more, more harmful. And um, there are also areas where they're, because they're so vulnerable, they indicate how, how delicate those ecosystems are and how advanced our climate change is. There are some birds and species and insects that are just disappearing. So the when first one, 
When did you get involved in like, when do you or get, or get like interested or like, there's like almost like this is your create, creative uh, zone. So where wouldn't you start getting interested in, in, uh, in marshes? Specifically in marshes in 2018, prior to that, I started working on water issues, land issues, and um, uh, some, some, I guess, environmental or land degradation issues related to uh, carbon um, or in fossil fuels way back. But in 2018, moving back to New England uh, after I'd been in Los Angeles for many years, uh, I really noticed a difference in, in the storm systems here in New England. They become more powerful. Uh, climate change had advanced in, in the 16 years of being away. Mm. And uh, one winter in 2018, we got hammered with three nor'easters. Uh, so a winter nor'easter um, is, is, is pretty rough usually, um, but not typically this rough rough we had um three where uh there was massive flooding power outages and um and certain towns were pretty much walloped by slushy slushy ocean coming in Mm -hmm. and um every it seemed like every other house had an old oak that had downed or at least one out of ten for sure so the ones were pretty severe um they were near hurricane force winds and um, many towns were out of power for days, some up to a week. So I think looking at looking at that and being have, happening again, kind of in my own backyard, I realized that something has really shifted. And it was more like you know a, a kind of calling you get when you start to work on a project and just started venturing out and seeing what the risks were in the towns. In in the borders, in the marshes. And what really struck me about working with the marshes is that these will, these particular areas will, are projected or are projected to be underwater by 2050. Yeah. Even with. No, I was going to say, you said in the, in your bio that you're a citizen scientist. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That means I help volunteer collect information and also um, I'll be working on signing up to help replant marsh grasses or you know helping to dig out ones that have taken over that aren't supposed to be there and helping to collect images too when there are storms that come in what they're calling the king tides they're asking people to take pictures of areas where um where uh, the tides have come in at these specific times because uh, they are generally two to three feet higher than they normally would be. So that's what it will look like in yeah. 20 or 30 years. So what is that? What, okay. What does that entail then? So it's going to say 20, 30 years, this is going to dramatically shift to this realm. What does that mean though? Like, what does that mean for the environment? What does that mean for like our, someone who's just born today? What does that mean for their life in 30 years? It means that without without measures in place to help uh, keep those barriers intact, the land will recede, oceans will rise, and um, as far as people who have homes, things like that, right now there are plan. There's a combination of plans for homes to be built or moving moving inland. 
Yeah. But also, um, there's 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 just a loss of land and there's a loss of habitat. So from a from a real estate uh, point of view, it's like it's the, your house is worth a certain value because it's close to the ocean. It's close to. <laughs> so you're basically saying it's like in 30 years, that's going to be the opposite case, I guess. Right. right? Yes. People are still building. Yeah, of course they are, because they're still they're making still money, building. right? Right. People are still building. Uh, the tool that I use to project some of these statistics um, actually is, I think, a tool that is borrowed with some insurer, insurers. It's um, And what I used in my tool, or what not my tool, but what I used in my projections for some of the maps that I use is uh, more of moderate and is actually accelerating more than they had predicted. So it's, um, it's known, it is a fact that sea level is rising. It's just a matter of to what degree and by when. Yeah. Um, so homes are still being built, uh, definitely in the town of Situate where I um, did a lot of my initial shooting. Um, there are concerns that for people who do own land and houses there that they will not be able to pass it on to their grandchildren or great grandchildren with you know with the security that will it will still be there so yeah, that's true so your film itself it's really interesting it's almost like it could be an installation in in an art museum it's really you know what i mean like it just kind of repeat itself it's it's because you're looking at three images so obviously from a conscious level, of course, subconsciously it's different, but the conscious level, we can only kind of see one image at a time. So we're kind of going back and forth. So we kind of want to, <laughs> you kind of want to watch it again, which I said, which is the installation. So what do you, like, what's the process for you to kind of make everything in continuity from video to video? And why did you choose the three videos itself too? The, okay. The, um, so this work, yes, this work I can install where it's projection. Yeah. And I also have another wall where I have the maps. They're, they are maps that show the progression of the change. Okay. So in layers of... Um, yeah, different of versions for whatever the content is, I guess, of the film. Right. Okay. Right. So I have different maps, different versions of, of the films. Um, now, and with the three segments the audio and the videos are from different sources. It may not be one complete source. It really is combining probably about 10, 10 different sources and maybe 20 different sources with the audio itself um, so in different sites. So they are combined, but I'm focusing on maybe more aesthetically, I'm tr trying to find works that, or trying to find um, material that speaks to each other. Um, and I'm looking at it as more of a, I'm really looking at the beauty of it. It's almost yeah. like a painful beauty when I look at it, realizing that these areas will be gone. 100%. Because um, yeah, it is yeah. beautiful. We're talking about some pretty serious subjects, but it's a very, your film is very beautiful to look at. Thank you. Thank you. It's, um, and it's, it's is that what you really, call irony? I think that's what you call irony, I guess, right? Yeah, I know. A very sad irony. Yeah. Um, and being out on the marshes and shooting this is just, it's a, it's a great experience. And that's part of the shooting is to be able to walk through these areas when it's walkable, um, get to experience the wind or the calms. It's actually a very 
of, I'd say, a calm and stark beauty. Um, there's ten, it tends to be quiet there on the marshes. There's with some human noise in, in the background, some bird life and so on and wind. But there's a, there's a very, um, I think one of your questions was how to describe the piece in two words and it would be morbid beauty. I yeah. think it's knowing that it's going to be disappearing or alt altered. It, yeah. Not all of it will be, you know, and I know that there's a lot of plans in place to help prevent a certain loss from from uh, the coastline, at least Massachusetts is, and I, I know other areas are. Um, and in the process of, of um, making this work, I'm trying to bring attention to, to the risk, but also what's being risked. And maybe, you know, people may not care about marshes, so to speak, because they seem to be these strange terrains, um, but they have a really important function in our lives in, yeah. in being a barrier and also being uh, uh, land for migration. Yeah, it's, the analogy is that it, it only people only care about it when it when it when it affects them personally, right? So yes, and I've seen people look at the maps and say, "Oh my gosh, my home is there," or "Oh my yeah. gosh, I just bought something there," or "My, you know, it's like," and just the their faces when they realize, you know, they know it, they know it's coming, mm -hmm. but when they see yeah. it visually pointed out it's something a little bit different we're so self, selfish species yeah. in a lot of ways right because it's like yeah, we, could, we, we could have planned ahead we could even do something even more profound now but we're not going to right so we're 20 feet more 20 feet in <laughs> more yeah. inland you yeah. know and that's and, and that's for people who can afford those spaces it's just um i think um for me it's um make making this piece and having it be in different segments, having it be so, sort of more installation and working on different sounds. It's, uh, I guess I'm trying to capture something for everyone. There are some people who really respond to the sound more than the images and wanna stay with it longer. There are some people who have stayed and watched the uh, marsh loops over and over and over because yeah. they wanna see different things in it. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. How did you do the underwater? Uh, photography oh with a gopro yeah so you're you're, you're you're pretty adept with uh, the, the film equipment these days like you, you you know your stuff i i know only know what i know <laughs> <laughs> i guess i yeah i wouldn't say i'm fully adept but what's great about a gopro is that you can also use your iphone as a monitor yeah and I've worked underneath the water with a stick a lot, so that I kind of know what I'm searching for when I'm under there. But there's always a magical surprise. You got to make sure make sure it's in focus and everything. I'm yeah. sure you just shoot a lot of stuff, and then you're gonna you're, you get some magic, I guess, when you go back home and look at look through it. I guess, right? Yeah, the magic happens afterwards. It always does. Oh, yeah, there's in the editing really, room. There's some really great sequences where you're like you're swooping in and out from from the top to bottom and there's really going fast. Like how fast are these GoPros go? Um, they actually, uh, I've got it on a stick and I walk with it. So it's really my movement. I'm sure you have big how boots. Slow. Like how do you, how do you? Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. That's I have hunter the... boots yeah. up to my knees. I actually thought about getting some waders, 
but um, I, I've made the mistake before going into the um, the burrows or the, the ditches and I've gotten stuck once badly. So I thought about just getting out of my boots and running through the marshes and my bare feet, <laughs> but I was able to get out. It's uh, That was a scary moment. Who, how did you get out? Get really sucked in. Um, I finally could just stayed uh, and wiggled a little bit and finally got out by just the force pulling you down is so strong and in, into the muck. Yeah, because that would be wiggled. a horrible story, uh, like trying to save the marshes, but being killed by the marshes. That would be, <laughs> be like a terrible, yeah. terrible story. I know. It, it's like uh, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> yeah, I know. No. Is it kind of like quicksense or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you really do. You can get stuck. So I don't. I don't um, recommend walking in the ditches. Walk on the grass if you're going to be in the marshes and do your work from the outside. What about the and, camera itself? Has the camera ever been damaged or? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Sorry for putting so, it out there. I was just curious. About I've got it. I've got a extra casing on it, and another, uh, you know, waterproof casing. And um, I think I want to work with flash coming up, but that's the only real change I would do on the GoPro is to try to find some, try to find ways where I can light the environment underneath without disrupting it too much. So you, uh, so the, you, you made this film and you decided to submit, why did you decide to submit to festivals? Like, what was the motivation? I want, I wanted a, a farther reach, um, to have it just set in a gallery setting really depends on, it depends on, on a lot of factors and it's a different experience, but having it in a film setting, uh, creates a different kind of, um, it creates a different kind of experience and a setting and it's more of a, I'd say, you know, in a film, in a, in a cinematic setting, you've kind of captured attention for a yeah. certain amount of time that like you can't necessarily in a gallery, I'd say attention span is about 10 to 30 seconds at most. So yeah, you're and, focusing the attention while the film mm -hmm. is being played, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So what did, so how's the experience been for you so far? The, the film experience, the like the film festival kind of getting oh, oh. Well, this is, I just started putting it out. It's already gotten a few, more than a few festivals. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's, I was very delighted, very surprised. Um, it, conf it confirms some things for me to be able to, you know, keep going with this work. That's always, that's always good to have that encouragement. So mm -hmm. thank you. And thank you for this opportunity to be able to share this with you. And um, I, it's been it's been a good experience so far. I think um, I have had other films where I've submitted through Film Freeway and th through festivals, but it's been a long, a long time. It's been, um, let's say since 2013, 14, something. I don't like even that. know if Film Freeway was around back then. It was probably without a box. It was something else. It was yeah. without a box. Okay. Yes, yeah. It's a lot better now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> So sent uh, you the audience to you on the audience feedback video. What did you think about what they had to say about your film? Oh, uh, thank you for that. That was actually very surprising as well. That was, um, it was very moving. It, personally, it was very moving to get the feedback. 
um, to hear some of the uh, points that they made, some questions that they still had, and uh, just, just a lot of really great feedback. And it's it's something that I really value. I mean, it's it, it can be hard. We work in a void sometimes in teams, yep. and um, you don't know how it's going to resonate, but it felt really great. So you, so you, uh, you mentioned uh, the sound because the sound design is very profound. But you did it yourself, like you didn't hire anybody to do your sound. No, it was me. That's amazing. So because you're like you're you're so focused, you're so focused on your uh, on the visual and the sound is you know arguably like half the film in so many ways because it adds it adds so much to your film. So when did you become good at it? Because you're very good at it. And not everybody. That's not for everybody. A sound being a sound designer. Um, wow. Thank you. Thank you for that. I um, I've always been interested in sound. I think. Um, and that just comes from having a long history. <laughs> True confession: I was a French horn player when I was a kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I think I think the um, my attraction to sound happened early on when I started working in video and and some film so it's always been an interest um i really started working on the sound more when i was in grad school i worked on a i worked on a, an installation piece there and at uc irvine and uh, i worked on a on a piece that was inspired by bees and bee colonies and so i created a soundscape on that and um took some sound classes there oh, sound, art, sound oh. art so um it started early on and you're working on the on parts four to six right now correct four to six yes collecting imagery and sounds how many how parts do you want to do oh it'll be oh gosh i don't know i know that i'll be doing this for years so 2050 um, <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> No, because you said that if I, if not I to let, be joking yeah. around about it, but you said that's <laughs> that's what they say. Well, things will change, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah, that would be a good goal, actually. See how it'll see how we all turn out by then. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I and and definitely for each, I'd say sec segment. Um, this next one coming up will be more focused on the grasses with some of the water and a different sound, where it's more with wind cool wind and hums and subtle bird life yeah less, less gurgle nature i guess right yeah because yeah. forget about us humans it's like it's like the it's the animals that get affected right you know what i mean like what you do what you're talking about right so because oh, yeah, their the, world is changing the world is changing the salt marsh sparrow uh that one is all that that one is actually endangered because the marshes are yeah. declining and disappearing or the insect life. So that one is definitely on the list. Um, there are other species that really, you know, they really depend on the marsh areas for feeding. Yeah. And if migration you, and home. If these animals and fish could talk, they would really hate us. <laughs> they would, they oh. would they would spew a lot of negativity towards us humans. Oh, they would. Yeah. Well, and they do. Um, but also, I think in 2020, we saw when they started coming out, we knew we knew that they uh, were not enjoying us being around, right? Yeah. And we saw a lot of imagery of animals starting to come out from their 
they're kind of the, they're hiding or their habitats where they they come in kind of rejoining habitats where they should be living. That's a movie right there, because that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't think many people know that, but you just what you just said. So, because I think there's a lot of truth to what you just said. So, and some and some animals started doing better. I think uh, there was a a bump in in a, a certain uh, sea turtle and certain birds that have their nests on beaches when humans weren't going out to beaches yeah uh, in the summer of 2020 and 2021 is or as much i think when we had our shutdowns yeah so there was a so so there was a better survival rate but i've talked to i've not talked to but i've read all about a lot of scientists who think that it was for the worse because because we've been we were more dependent on getting home deliveries and boxes and and trains had to be like like the train industry went up and like, like 300% and like, it's like, Mm -hmm. it kind of was worse for the environment that we were at home. It was worse for the, for the environment. Oh yeah. But I was just more answering your. No, no, no. I'm just saying from a a macro standpoint, like it was Mm -hmm. like that we were, it's better that we're out there. We're out, we're out and about, I guess. Right. Yeah. And, um, and the uh, well, yeah, animals came out of their hiding because we weren't out. But I yeah. think there there's a lot of studies being done about about what that time what happened to the environment in that time yeah. frame. So uh, it's right now. I, I get maybe it's too soon to tell, but I think they're yeah. just starting to to look at the numbers. Yeah. I know some. I, I I also in my day job I work at MIT, and a couple of labs are looking at that. Like what happened with atmospheric pollution during that time you know wow, I mean, I see, like that well, energy that's, that's what the smart people are that's what they say <laughs> oh i get inspired every time i walk in <laughs> really that's amazing yeah it's so yeah, good to I hear they, they, they never great. grows tired i guess right never grows tiring no no every day is hopeful when i walk in there that's amazing so these smart people they that's that's like the idealistic or some can call it ignorant take on the environment. Like the smart people will figure it out. Well, we're going to be okay. So. Uh, <laughs> I hope so. You hope so? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. But maybe, we'll okay. maybe at the same time, we, we, we have to learn a lesson. So maybe it's not, we don't, shouldn't be taken care of. Maybe we, we should, we did, we did the damage and we should from, we should pay the price. Right. Well, we do need to change our behaviors. We do yeah. need to change what we expect. I think expecting delivery within two days is ridiculous. You know, In two days we get it. I, like, I can do our package. I get it later on today. It's insane. You what? What's that? I said I order something. And I get it later on today. It's insane. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I think we need to get used to our. Uh, I think we need to um, change our habits. Yeah expectations and habits expectations is the biggest the key right so because we all said we all set up this you know this first world world where we kind of like expect certain things and uh and we don't get our expectations we get we get mad you know we like certain elections of the past to prove that right it's like oh "Oh, i didn't get what i wanted i didn't get what i was supposed to get so i'm gonna be i'm mad at you so i'll I'll elect the other person no you know what i'm saying i'm just saying from like uh (laughs) from an analogy standpoint, it's like, that's, that's the thing, right? Like we have to change what we expect out of this world. Right. And maybe perhaps give, give a little bit back. Right. And I think to your point too, earlier is that, you know, people just don't change until they're forced to, which means that until it affects them and they see what, 
but either damage has been done or, you know, what, you know, whether it's inconvenient or whether it's bad health or something, something that will happen out of this, you know. Yeah. Well, on that note, I appreciate your, uh, your, your time and uh, it was a great film and I love these experimental films. They're amazing. And I can't wait to see parts four to six next. Thank you. Thank you for spending the time and thank you for having this in your festival and doing the podcast and the, and the feedback. It's all been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Hasenbemp, and Corbin.